morning cross point the word of god today comes from second corinthians chapter 12 verses 1 through 10 i must go on boasting though there is nothing to be gained by it i will go on to visions and revelations of the lord i know a man in christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I sh should wish to boast... I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one would think of me from so no one would think of me of more than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then... I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, right now, I am feeling, God, the overwhelming deficiencies of my own life. God, the weaknesses that I'm consciously aware of are before me, even as I come to preach your word. So God... I pray that right now you'll help me not rest upon my strength. Pray that you will help me not rest upon my giftings, Lord. Even the gifts and abilities that you have given me, Lord, help me acknowledge that they come from you. And Lord, as I pray this prayer, I know I'm not the only one in need of that in this time, but our whole church is, Lord. Those who are watching that might have joined us seeing this live stream, Lord. We're aware of our need of your grace and mercy. We're in need of more grace because in your grace, you show your strength even in our weakness. We ask for your help and power here today. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're talking about God's sufficient grace. His grace, Paul says, is sufficient for me. His power is made perfect in my weaknesses. When I was a child, I had ongoing issues related to my left inner ear. It started with the typical ear infections. 
that led to tubes being put into my ear and my adenoids taken out. Now that's a pretty common surgery and a pretty common issue that most people will face, or a lot of people will face, uh, children in particular. The, thought, the doctor thought that that minor operation would do the trick, that those ear infections should be gone and uh, that uh, life would return to normal for me. But life didn't return to normal. The ear infections continued. There was uh, increased issues that I was experiencing. And then I started to experience a lack of hearing in my left ear. So we went to another specialist and another specialist. We realized that the inner ear issues I was having were pretty significant. And the doctor recommended a surgery. We did a surgery. It was a six-hour invasive operation into my left inner ear. They went right behind my ear and into my skull to get into my inner ear. They took out the hammer, the anvil, and the stirrup, which had been so marred by infection that they had to put three fake ones in. And then after that, the hearing never returned to normal. In fact, today I'd tell you that hearing in my left ear is probably about 20%. So if you try to talk to me in my left ear, like tell me a whisper or something like that, you'll see me immediately turn this way. Or, or maybe you've heard me on the phone when my phone's on my right ear. I'll talk really loud because I can't hear out of this ear uh, very well at all. But in light of the difficulties that I experienced, it revealed some really powerful things in my life. Probably one of the most evident things that it revealed to me is the, the love that my parents had for me. I remember that this dilemma was causing more challenges for them and their anxiety and their emotions than it even was for me as a child. I remember mom and dad speaking words of encouragement over me. In fact, the night before that invasive surgery, I remember really clearly uh, being down on the ground crying because I was just so confused about what was going on. And my dad, he didn't offer me any answers. He just came down next to me and he cried with me on the ground. But it revealed the sufficiency of God's love through my parents Secondarily, it revealed that while my left ear is weak, my right ear is strong. And so, rather than being deaf today, I celebrate that I can hear. And I have a good right ear, even at almost 40 years old. And this is something that I truly celebrate because God has given me good hearing. And then finally, my left ear is a constant reminder of God's grace in my life in spite of my weaknesses. That God still uses me even as a vessel of His weakness. All in all, I'll tell you that I wouldn't trade the experience of good hearing out of my left ear today for anything. I wouldn't trade what I'd gone through for anything. Because what my experience growing up with my left ear and today, which is a left ear that seems virtually useless. It's a constant reminder of God's never failing and strong grace in spite of my desperate weakness. 
You know, the message that Paul has is good news for us today, especially if you're feeling weak, especially if you feel the weight of your inadequacies. The coronavirus world that we're living in, in this post-lockdown today, is revealing of weakness, revealing of weaknesses in our careers, revealing in weaknesses of our finances. I mean, we, we don't know even the damage to be done from where we're at in the middle of this pandemic with the economy tomorrow. It's revealing of weakness, and it can cause us to be hopeless and helpless The power of God today says, bring your weakness to me. Bring your inadequacies, bring your inabilities, bring your insufficiencies to me. No matter where you're at, my grace is strong enough. My grace is strong enough. My grace is strong enough. Because one of the things that we know throughout human history is God takes the strong things of the world in order to show their foolishness, in order to show that the foolishness thing, the foolish things of God are actually a part of His strength and power. There's a formula, which is our big idea for today. It's a mathematical equation. Let me give it to you. If you didn't like math, don't worry. You're not going to be tested. It's my weakness plus God's grace equals God's power. My weakness plus God's grace equals God's power. Paul says in chapter 12, verse 9, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so the power of Christ may rest upon me. There's a good chance you've heard that verse before. There's also a good chance if you've heard that verse before, you, you probably didn't understand the context or the world in which Paul preached it. Paul was preaching this to the church of Corinth. Uh, I've said it before. If there was a Netflix series of, of the church of Corinth, it would be called The Church Gone Wild. This is Paul's fourth letter, contrary to us realizing that it is 2 Corinthians. It's only the second letter that we have, but it's the fourth letter. Paul spent a year and a half with the church of Corinth. At one point in Paul's pastoral history with the church, the majority of the church had rejected him, and there was a minority that accepted him. By the point of 2 Corinthians, we actually know that that is flip-flopped. The majority of the church has accepted him as their pastor and an apostle by the will of God through Christ Jesus, and there's a reluctant minority. In the latter half of 2 Corinthians, the chapters we're dealing with right now, Paul turns to that reluctant minority in order to win them back over to his teachings in the sufficiency of his message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now in those whom Paul addresses in this reluctant minority, he also acknowledges that some of them have been infiltrated by false teachers, false apostles who are trying to discredit Paul to advance themselves, and they are leading some of the church congregants or members of the church of Corinth astray in that false teaching. And part of the way that they're doing that is they're highlighting Paul's weaknesses. They're showing why the church of Corinth should not follow the apostle Paul and thus receive their teachings. And some of what they're trying to do is discredit him by 
showing that his weaknesses are actually a liability. But Paul, he turns it around and he says that really my weaknesses are God's sufficiencies. It's His grace. It's His strength. It's His power. It's His power that's so strong, so mighty, not because of my weaknesses, but in spite of them. And so we're going to see this passage in three parts. We're going to look at the revelation we see in verses 1 through 6. We're going to see the thorn in Paul's side that he references in verses 7 and 8. And then finally, we're going to see in verses 9 and 10 the surpassing power of God's grace. Let's look at this revelation, verses 1 through 6. Paul says, I must go on boasting. If you look back at last week in the passage that we looked at, or if you remember the sermon from last week, you know that Paul is starting to engage in some of the, the foolish boasting of his opponents in Corinth. Paul is left with no choice but to play their game. And he plays their game not in order to elevate himself, but in order to show the foolishness of what they're engaging in. Because what they're trying to do is show the sufficiency of their strength rather than the sufficiency of God's strength. And they're using three things to do that. Last week we talked about how they used lineage to highlight their strength. We talked about how they used achievements to highlight their strength. And now Paul engages on the conversation related to revelations. Now last week on lineage they said that somehow their pedigree their heritage was something that qualified them to be teachers to the church of Corinth. And so they had their resume. They had their birth certificate that showed that they were Hebrews. And Paul says, well, you're a Hebrew, so am I. Check. You're an Israelite, so am I. Check. You're a descendant of Abraham, so am I. Check. Got that covered. Let's move on to the next one. And now Paul is engaging on the things that they are saying qualify them, which is their achievements. You might remember that this is where Paul summarizes his resume. And his resume doesn't include all of his achievements because Paul could have gone on and on and on about his achievements. But Paul lists his sufferings. He was beaten, lashed, shipwrecked, danger at sea, danger in the wilderness, danger from false brothers. We know that Paul was left to the point of death many times. And so Paul is saying the things that they say disqualify me, namely his sufferings are the things that actually demonstrate that he is a genuine apostle of the Lord. And then Paul moves on from that foolish boasting of achievements to revelations. They were claiming these deep and rich experiences with God. And these experiences somehow made them more credible than the Apostle Paul. Visions, revelations, dreams. Now, I find it interesting how Paul engages in this by not discrediting revelations, dreams, or visions. Because really, the Bible is built upon God's prophecies in revelations, dreams, and visions. We have a whole book entitled the book of Revelation, which is a series of revelations given by the Apostle John. But Paul is saying don't place an overvalue on that. 
And he begins to share of this revelation that he experienced on his own. He shares it in the third person. I know a guy. And then he later reveals that he is that guy. And in Paul's revelation of what God had shown him, we know that he says, Was I in the body or out of the body? I do not know. He didn't even have the conscious awareness to know if his body went with him on this revelation or if his body stayed in the same place. We also know that he says he went to the third heaven, caught up into paradise. Now, if you know the story of the Jewish teachings of the cosmos, there's, there's three layers of the heavens. One would be the atmosphere that we live in. Secondarily, there would be the starry host or the galaxies in the cosmos. And third would be the dwelling place of God, the throne room of the Most High. Paul says, that's where I was, in the throne room of the Most High. Now in that place, Paul says, I've seen things and I've heard things that I cannot utter. Maybe he couldn't utter them because they're undiscernible to man. Or maybe he couldn't utter them because God told him not to. But nonetheless, he says, I could not utter these things. And verse 4, or verse 5, on behalf of this man I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except in my weaknesses. Meaning that he's not boasting of this revelation. He's saying, I don't want you to count this revelation as something that brings credibility to me. And here's the, the plain reality about experiences and revelations and spiritual uh, ecstasy that sometimes is genuine and real. The other thing is that it's unverifiable. And so anybody can come and say, I've had these high spiritual moments with God. This is why you should listen to me. But no one knows if those things are true. And that's where I would say to you, Paul knew that. But Paul didn't want to add anything to take away from his authority given to him by Christ Jesus himself. He was saying that I stand on my own without this revelation. But I've had one. In fact, the one that he had was far supreme and far more valuable. But he says here in verse 6, Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think of me more than he sees in me or hears from me. What Paul is saying are the same words that he said to Timothy just in a different way. He's saying, look at my life. And look at my doctrine. Look at the way that I live. Look at the way that I believe. The way that I preach. The message that I proclaim. And take that at face value and judge me by those things alone. In verse, uh, 1 Timothy 4.16, he says, keep watch on yourself. In the teaching, persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. These words Paul gave to his young disciple, Timothy, this young pastor, who would one day continue his ministry in the absence of the Apostle Paul. 
And he's saying to him, persist in the, in the teachings that you have committed yourself to. As you persist in these things with your life and doctrine, salvation abounds both in you and those who are your hearers. It's important that we be people that follow after God. Second thing that we see is uh, the thorn in Paul's flesh. Uh, Paul goes from this religious high, so to speak, this, this youth camp moment where he experienced God's incredible power and in, in this just in vision that has him so captivated by the grace and mercy of God. And it's got him feeling pretty good about himself. I mean, he's got to be pretty special if God would give him that kind of experience. And then it follows with a low. Verses 7 and 8. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing, surpassing greatness of revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So Paul experiences the height of a reality with God that no one in this world has ever experienced beyond him. And then he experiences the thorn in his side. Now the thorn in his side isn't like a little prick from a thorn in your garden. The thorn in his side was like a stake being wedged into his side. It's painful. Horrendously painful. And he says to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. You know, Paul is acknowledging that he's susceptible to pride and conceit and that the greatest danger of seeing that revelation would that Paul would think not that God is so awesome, but that Paul was so awesome and that the revelation of God's grace and mercy to him would become all about Paul. And so you see that there is a messenger of Satan that harassed him to keep him from becoming conceited. But yet this messenger from Satan came even with the divine authority of God. In other words, what happened to Paul was not beyond God's control. What Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. Because I guarantee you, Satan didn't send a messenger to harass him so Paul would not become conceited, but he sent a messenger to harass him to bring his destruction. And what Satan meant to use for his destruction, God meant to use for his exaltation or his uplifting. Not for Paul's conceit, but to showcase his grace, his mercy, and his power. You see that Paul pleaded with the Lord three times. The three times that we see referenced here isn't just three instances that Paul prayed for this, but it's repetition. He prayed regularly that the thorn in his side would go away God was silent. But he didn't take God's silence as an absence of an answer. Your will be done, Lord. Your will be done. And three times he pleaded that it should leave him, but there it was. 
I don't know about you if you've experienced this pain, this thorn in your side, ongoing issue that you think is absolutely debilitating to your faith, but yet you realize that God might use it. Psalm 119.71 says, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. It was good. You've got to remember that earlier formula. My weaknesses plus God's grace equals God's power. God was not dependent upon Paul being his absolute best. In fact, it was Paul's weaknesses that were a, a showcase of God's grace and his power. It wasn't that Paul needed to show his strength plus God's power. That's a, that's a formula that sets us up for failure. But it's my weakness plus God's strength equals his power. D.A. Carson says the end that Paul wanted was relief from the thorn. And he simply assumed that the means would be the thorn's removal. God granted the ends by another means. He gave relief from the thorn, not by removing it, but by adding more grace, sufficient grace. The Lord promised Paul that in the distress caused by the messenger from Satan, he would always find that divine grace afforded him sufficient supply to enable him to bear up as a Christian. I wonder if we look at our lives right now and the things that we're in the middle of in our lives. I know stories of people who have lost loved ones in coronavirus and has brought them to their knees. I know stories of people who have lost livelihoods in the middle of coronavirus and has caused them to feel inadequate and in some ways like they don't have a place in this world. And that's what Satan will tell us. will say, in the loss, you're destroyed. God's grace said, trust me, trust me. 1 Peter 5, 5, we know that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. More grace. It's what we need. It's not more money to get out of our current situation. It's not a better job to, to put us in the right place. Now, those things, while they might seem necessary for life, and there is some truth to pursuing after those things, those things are not the end that delivers you. It's God's grace. More grace, more grace, more grace, more grace. And here we see the sufficiency of God's grace in verses 9 and 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul learned the secret to knowing he was just a jar of clay. He said it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Here I am. I'm just this vessel, this, this fragile jar of clay who is one day going to see my end in this world. But there is an eternal God that forever sustains. 
and the surpassing power belongs to him and not to me. It's grace that sustains us to live a life of faith with abandonment every single day. It's grace that sustains us in our utter weakness and despair all the time. It's grace that helps us deal with the sorrows of life with a God who is right there with us because we know that there is no human experience that we have gone through that Jesus Christ cannot himself identify with. And this grace is a grace that he freely offers on the cross for us. And that grace is the surpassing power that belongs to God and not to us. In fact, the most dis- the visible display of God's grace and power is God at his weakest on the cross. To show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And it brings salvation for all who believe. And trust in Him. That's why today you can be okay with your weaknesses. You can be okay with your inadequacies, with your deficiencies. This is why you can fight sin in your life that's seeking to bring your destruction. Because the God of grace is able. He lived the life that you could not live. And He died the death that you deserve to die. And on that cross, his weakness is our strength. And it's a showcase of God's surpassing power. And in the same way, we are called to live and demonstrate that life that shows the sufficiency of God's grace. Sam Storm says, Grace is God himself energetically at work in the human heart, enabling us to do what would otherwise prove impossible. You know, it might seem that some of these worldly dreams and ideas that you and I have are impossible. I tell you what, those things are possible. Many people do them on their own strength. Many people are are celebrated in the world today because they do what's seemingly impossible by their own man-made effort showing that it is possible even without God. But it's worthless. It's worthless. The reason why it's worthless is because God has not made us for that purpose. God has made us to be His image bearers, showcasing His glory to a lost and broken world. And that, my friends, is what is impossible for the Christian to do without His power enabling in us by His grace. And this is why every day when we wake up and we feel weak, We lean in to the strength that only God can provide. And we face our weaknesses in reality of an ever-powerful, strong, and mighty God. I want to apply this text. There's four applications that I think are really powerful for us in light of what we've just studied. The first one is, We must not overvalue spiritual experiences. I don't want to undervalue spiritual experiences in telling you this because spiritual experiences have been very edifying in my my own life where God has revealed himself to me in some unique way that's just to me. Whether it be a time in reading the Bible or in a vision or dream, God gives gives us those experiences. 
But we must not overvalue those things. Because the value of spiritual experience, if it's above what we think it should be, will cause us to neglect the everyday norms of the gospel in our daily life, the grind of life, because we don't need the spiritual experiences to validate who Jesus is and what he has done, because it's a historic event that is a present reality. And how do I know that? Because I have a book that tells me so. And this book is the Word of God. And if you overvalue spiritual experiences, you end up devaluing the Word of God because there's nothing that is more powerful than reading the words of this Scripture and the realization that I have just been spoken to by God Himself through His Word. This is normative. And this is what we value. Second thing, we must embrace the gift of discouragement. We must embrace the gift of discouragement. Some of you might think, well, I have a spiritual gift of discouragement. Well, that's not a spiritual gift. <laughs> but we must embrace when discouragement comes to us as a gift because we know that while Satan might try to afflict us in pain, in wounds, in suffering. God's not scared of those things being used in our life as a means of drawing us to himself. Paul had the ecstasy and Paul had the despair of the thorn. And the despair of the thorn caused him to cling more tightly to the Lord Jesus Christ. John Piper says, the deepest need that you and I have in weakness and adversity is not quick relief, but the well-grounded confidence that what is happening to us is part of the greatest purpose of God in the universe, the glorification of the grace and power of His Son, the grace and power that bore Him to the cross and kept Him there until the work of love was done. That is what God is building into our lives. You can receive as a gift discouragement as the grace of God being built into your life. The third thing we need to see is that God's grace isn't limited by your weaknesses, but more powerfully demonstrated through them. Just as I shared with you the experience of my left ear and how I've seen God's grace at work and how that grace of God was not limited by my, my hearing. So you might have a weakness. And I want to assure you here today, rejoice, brother or sister in Christ. Rejoice in your weaknesses because it is not a limitation. It is an opportunity to showcase the glory of God through a weak vessel like you and me, a jar of clay. To show that the surpassing power belongs to Him and not to us. And the last application is that we seek contentment in our weaknesses. So hard. It's so hard to seek contentment in our weaknesses. Because we know the fragility of our lives. We know the frailty of the world we, we live in. We also know the brevity by which we live. 
that our lives are here today and gone tomorrow. And if we're not careful, we can be discontent and try to fill up this jar of clay with a treasure that actually is just a treasure here on earth rather than a treasure in heaven. Or we could surrender this jar of clay and say, God, it belongs to you, so give me contentment, give me happiness in the life that you've given me. Whether weakness or not, give me contentment. And help me live my life to showcase your power. There was a woman who did that. Her name is Henrietta Mears. Henrietta, as a young girl, age 12, was diagnosed with muscular rheumatism. It's a condition that caused continual muscle tenderness, soreness, spasms, and pain. Later, she would develop bad eyesight almost to the point of blindness. Despite her weaknesses, she became one of the most influential Christian educators this world has ever seen. Her Sunday school programs have raised up some of the most prolific and influential church leaders of the 20th century. Bill and Vonette Bright, who are the founders of Campus Crusade for Christ, came up under her ministry. And America's greatest evangelist, Billy Graham, did as well. Henrietta Myers says this. She says, I believe my greatest spiritual asset throughout my entire life has been my failing sight, for it has kept me absolutely dependent upon God. The greatest spiritual asset is likely her greatest weakness. And her greatest weakness shows that God's grace abounds. And His grace is sufficient. And His power is made perfect in weakness. So I want to take you to this revelation that Paul had again to help us see the sustaining power of the grace of God. When Paul was in the third heaven, we have no idea what he saw. But we see this vision repetitive throughout Scriptures and it's the throne room of God. Isaiah sees it in chapter 6. It's holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And in that revelation of the glory of God, we see the majesty of our Savior Jesus Christ, who though we are weak, He is strong. And by His poverty, we are made rich. The throne of heaven has one who lived the life that you could not live and died the death that you could not die in order to give you the life that only he deserves, which is the life in the dwelling place of God, the third heaven. And one of the things that, while we can't know what Paul's vision was, or we don't even know the thorn that was in Paul's side, we can only speculate. We can know that God has shown us who He is in His Son, Jesus Christ, confirmed here by the words of God. We can also know that we have weaknesses, all of us. And in spite of those weaknesses, God's grace shows God's power. My weakness plus God's grace equals God's power. So today, friends, no matter what you're going through, I want you to know 
God's chosen you to be a showcase of his grace and his mercy and his power so that he would prove to this world that the strong things of the world are foolish and the weak things of God are strong and wise and good. And by the cross, we experience an unending flow, an unending river of help and mercy and grace in our most testing time of need. So let's turn to him who sits on the throne, the same one who died on the cross to show his grace and his power. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We thank you. We love you. Your mercy abounds. And right now, Lord, we put our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.